Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 91 of the Haskin Cast podcast, coming to you from beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, where it is actually very cold here today as I'm recording this, but it is still beautiful, and we probably have more lights on the strip than we did yesterday. That seems to be a common theme every time I go down there, which is about once a week these days. Um, it seems like there's some new sign up, some, you know, light bulbs have been brightened or replaced or whatever. And, uh, it, it, you know, you wonder how bright something can actually get, but we seem to be trying to peak that as much as possible. I, uh, I have a very interesting guest, author Lily Lamb on the show today, and she is coming to us all the way from Perth, Australia. Uh, fortunately, she is not in an area that is affected by the fires at the moment, and I'm hoping that everything gets uh, resolved down there very quickly and that uh, you know we save as much of the land as possible. They've had enough problems down there with the diminishing of the Great Barrier Reef and uh, everything else that's gone on, so uh, hopefully things will uh, will stop and they can get back to regeneration and growth and all those wonderful things that uh, are part of what makes Australia such a beautiful place. I've never been there myself, but I can tell you that everyone that I've met from Australia has treated me very kindly. I, I've known quite a few people from there, and uh, I don't know how they handle the flight going there and back because that is incredibly long here uh, from here. But uh, but they do it, and uh, you know it's it's a beautiful place. And of course, you know the American. Uh, vision of Australia that we see through social media is that, yes, it's beautiful and everything wants to eat you. And that's probably true. And it was people from Australia that showed me that video. I don't know if they just don't want me to go. Uh, anyway, but she's coming to us from Australia. She's actually from Turkey. So her accent is not Australian, but she's very intelligent, very brilliant, and uh, very passionate about what she does. I love her approach and her outlook. And we're going to get into all of that in the interview. Uh, but first, of course, we have to talk about what's going on here, which is not a lot. It's the beginning of the year, which means it's time to do all the uh, year end corporate paperwork stuff, which I am almost done with well ahead of my tax appointment. At the end of February, I'm just waiting for, you know, all the final, uh, you know, W-2s from projects and all that stuff to come in, uh, you know, all the sales figures and all that, because I don't get those a lot of times till early to mid-February. But I'm just about done with all the stuff that I can do here on my end, and I'm very happy about that because it is almost time for me to head to the beach for my one day off a year that I take, and that is 100% on me because I could take any day off I want. But I love what I do so much that I don't really feel like it's work. There's parts of it that are work, like the scheduling of the guests for the podcast, all the editing and stuff, um, you know, the the paperwork with, uh, with the social media and, and the taxes and all that for the music side of things. But the creative part of it and the interview part of it, I absolutely love. So none of that seems like work. But I'll be heading to California for my uh, one day at the beach and then headed to the NAMM show. So I will be there on on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then headed back on Monday. So if you guys are going to be at the NAMM show, uh, shoot me an email at scott at scotthaskin.com. Or you can, uh, you know, hit me up on Facebook or Twitter or any other of those places that I'm at. And uh, let's get together. Let's uh, grab a cup of coffee or something, although the line is usually a mile long. Uh, we can always step outside, have a chat, or find a quiet corner to uh, to, to talk. Uh, the NAM show is great. I'm looking forward to it. I plan on doing a, a NAM recap when I come back, although uh, I have another idea that I've, I'm uh, working on scheduling with a guest, so we'll see how that pans out. 
but I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, it'll be great to see uh, my friends again from all over the world. Friends like Eduardo and Wolfgang and uh, that I uh, know from Best Service. Eduardo was on the show not too long ago talking about Era 2. And I'm looking forward to his unveiling of this year's new VST, which I am incredibly excited about. Uh, and we'll talk about that after the presentation at the NAM show. I have a lot of people to visit out there, uh, a lot of people to meet up with and uh, a lot of people to uh, connect with while I'm there. Of course, my friends at Audionamics, I will definitely be dropping by and saying hello. My friends at uh, Cakewalk by BandLab, which supply the basically the foundation of the podcast, which is the uh, Cakewalk program, which I used to record the podcast in and edit it, uh, as well as, you know, clean up the majority of the sounds. And then there's the offshoots like uh, Isotope RX and Levelator, which I use to bring it to the broadcast level of volume. Uh, so there's people I want to see. I want to visit my friends at Motooth and talk to them about this wonderful new audio interface that I added to the studio this year called the M4, which is a uh, four-channel audio plus two-channel MIDI uh, interface and uh, the sound on it, I just absolutely love. It is crystal clear. And again, the show quality depends on the uh, the apparatus that my guest is calling in from. So if they're calling in from a landline or a cell phone or through Facebook, everything sounds different. And there's only so much I can do to control that. Uh, if I had the time, I could probably make every one of them pristine, but I, I don't. So, uh, or as pristine as possible, but I don't. So uh, I give you the best quality that I can with each one. With this episode with Lily, we decided to try uh, the Facebook call feature, which for the most part is pretty good. And especially considering that she is literally on the other side of the world in a different hemisphere. Um, the quality, I think, came out really good. We did have a couple of issues where the app started dropping out a little bit and uh, it gets a little distorted and the sound kind of drops in volume. So uh, I edited that. You might notice a couple of uh, like weird edits. You may not notice them at all. I, I tried to do them as smoothly as possible. But uh, but that could be those two. They're around the 40 and 47 minute mark, I think. Uh, but other than that, I thought the call feature was pretty good. I've had problems with it uh, when I've been a guest on other shows and they've used that. Uh, we've had problems with it dropping out. Of course, one of those was in the middle of a huge storm. So I can't necessarily blame the app for that. It could have been their uh, connection to the Internet through their phone. So uh, but yeah, it, it was a, it was a good call, really good quality, had a wonderful conversation with Lily that I'm very excited to bring you as uh, as we hit one more podcast on the way to the first milestone of episode 100, which uh, if I'm scheduling it right, it looks like it's going to be around the end of February, early March. Uh, but I've got a couple of extra episodes that I've scheduled that'll be hitting on Saturdays. So if those pan out time and schedule wise, then we may be hitting the 100th episode a little bit earlier. I'm really excited to, to do it. I'm actually recording it this week. So uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. And uh, without any further ado, let's talk to Lily Lamb in Perth, Australia. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to welcome my lovely, lovely friend on the other side of the pond in uh, coming to you from Perth, Australia, which I think is the farthest uh, away podcast I've done so far. Lily Lamb, the author herself. Lily, how are you today? 
Very well, thank you. How about you, Scott? I'm doing great, thank you. I am so excited to talk to you, and I really appreciate you taking some time. Uh, I know that things are a little crazy in Australia with the fires right now, but uh, I'm, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much for thinking of me and giving me the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Well, certainly. Uh, let's start off with, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about the kind of stories that you write, because you're you're a very uh, niche author. Well, I write uh, different genres, um, partly because I get influenced by the news and events that happens in social media, and, and I start writing. So I write um, gay romance. I also write gothic horror, um, but generally, again, around gay um, romance areas. Um, yeah, horrors and romance and a bit thriller. Well, that's certainly an interesting combination. Are there, there are not a lot of uh, authors that write that specifically, are there? No, I don't think so. Um, I think it's my upbringing, too. Um, as a child, I used to read gothic stories a lot and so I got really influenced um, by my I think cultural background what I was encouraged to read um, yeah sure, yeah was this something that just came about naturally that that's where you're writing headed or was was this something that you'd always wanted to write in this style um, look it happened really in his own course i don't know i never thought i would be a writer because as you may have noticed um english is not my first language and i learned the language by myself i didn't formally study so writing itself was a surprise um and then the more i wrote the more i noticed the characters i pick they have their own ideas um whether i start with a certain plot in my head but as I start writing, the story starts evolving and changing, and I find myself writing gothic horror and fantasy. I like that though, because when you're when you're doing it that way, things come out really organically, and I think it makes for a better story. If you sit down and you're trying to plan this or that, uh, you know, you can you can kind of lock yourself into corners. But if you're just writing naturally, then I think the story comes out better for it. I think so, too. And ultimately, I'm writing it for the pleasure of it, um, to inspire readers and challenge myself. So um, I don't want to write in a certain way, following a certain formula. I just am writing because I'm an indie writer mm -hmm. and, and I want people to see it, it's something different. Sure. Are you the kind of artist like I am where no matter how many people buy the product, it's it's almost to an extent irrelevant. I just going to keep writing because I love writing. I can't see myself not doing it. Exactly. Exactly. I am not writing for the fame of it or money of it because let's put it this way. Um, it's not going to pay for my livelihood. I write it purely because I have a story to tell. And each story has a little bit of element of myself in it. So I am writing um, for others to know something that's happening to other people, other societies or cultures. Sure. I like that. I like that. And how you've been writing for quite a while, though, haven't you? Since 2015. Okay, so you started so, a little bit later in, in life. What was the, the impetus that made you say, you know what, I'm going to do this? 
Well, I used to uh, review stories and I used to write my reviews and all that. And then a few times authors asked me whether I would be their beta readers. And um, and then as I was reading stories, I started getting some ideas like I, I have a story to write. I have a story to tell others. And that was about domestic violence. Romance story, but domestic violence is a big part of that story. Mm-hmm. And I started writing it. And of course, it was full of challenges because, as I said, English is not my first language. Mm-hmm. And I struggled a lot, but I finished the story and released it. And that was my bestseller. Wow. I love yeah. that. But see, that's what I mean. Yeah. You write organically and you're writing from, you know, that place of just not trying to do anything, just letting it pour yeah. out. It comes out the best. Now, you said that English is not your first language. Your first language, again, is? Turkish. Turkish. Did you also write a version of it in Turkish or would it not translate well? Um, it doesn't translate well. Um, I'll be honest with you. I'm in no man's land when it comes to languages. Um, I left Turkey 30 years ago, and my husband is Australian. I don't have uh, any Turkish person close to me to socialize, so my Turkish is broken. And my English is not that doing great either, I think. So I can't write in Turkish. I think you're doing great in English, though. Oh, thank you. I am studying all the time, I must say, Um, you know. I am learning through uh, YouTube. I borrow books from the libraries. My husband is um, helping me to improve my grammar. So I am improving. Work in progress. Well, yeah. And and, uh, just the the sheer habit of writing and through the editing process, a lot of times you find out things that you could phrase a a little bit better or or whatnot. Absolutely. Yeah. And I read a lot. I read a lot. Um, Reading uh, books are my best friends. So I always read to learn, improve myself and and be in all of authors who write some amazing stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, do you do you find that it's hard for you to find things that you can then read and enjoy because of that barrier? No, I don't, because from my perspective, writing a story is a quite a torturous process. Oh, I'll wow. be honest with you. It is torturous because, you know, in your head, you think you're writing something so fantastic and then you start reading it yourself. You think, oh, no, nobody's going to read this. It's a, a lot of work to write a story. Yes. So I appreciate every author's efforts. I mean, some books I can't read because it's so different from what I like to read. Um, but again, I respect the author's attempts and I'll read the stories and I'll review the stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I do find it uh, when when I've edited books that take place in, in other countries, like it might start off in, in the United States, but then they'll have to go to uh, Italy or France or somewhere. Yeah. And, and when the author starts changing the language or like Dan Brown, I love Dan Brown's books. But there's so many yeah. things in his books that I have to just mentally go, okay, I don't know what that means, but it's not important enough for me to look it up. <laughs> and, and it kind of does draw back from the story because I don't have that skill set. 
Exactly. I mean, I'm a big fan of Graham Masterton. I think he writes awesome supernatural horror. When I read his books in English, I am just living in the pages. You know, at night I can't even walk to ladies. I can't go to kitchen to make coffee because I'm so scared. But if I read those books in Turkish, it doesn't have the same effect. Mm, that's interesting. It, it doesn't have the same effect because the vocabulary in Turkish is not that rich. Um, so it, it loses that uh, extra scary impact in the on the pages. Right. Well, yeah, and I think even sometimes, like I've noticed if you were to write comedy, comedy does not translate around the, gro the globe very well because a lot of it is so specific to the area that you live in, what's going on yeah. in that culture at that time. And because yeah. everybody in the world is going through their own things in their own culture, it doesn't really translate. Exactly, exactly. Turkish humor is quite slapstick, you know. It's it's a quite a innocent humor. It's not like um, English humor where there's sarcasm, there's black humor. Mm -hmm. Americans are different, um, uh, although similar to, I think, Turkish humor. Hence, uh, we love uh, American comedies. But writing it is, again, um, in showing the scene is quite hard. And I wrote one gay romance. It had a lot of, you know, funny parts. Mm -hmm. It was about this Turkish twink who is almost virgin, almost but not totally. <laughs> um, and writing from his uh, socially awkward Turkish perspective was really hard um, because I wanted the English reader, most of my readers are from America. I wanted the Americans to see the struggles of a Turkish person in another country and cultural clashes and all that. And it was quite hard, but I really tried hard for others to see from someone who is not a white or English and their struggles. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, it is a lot of work. Oh, sure. I think, too, it's it's interesting the perspective that, that we have in the United States. I think we tend to think that everybody is interested in what we're doing and that, that we can just sell all over the world. And I don't necessarily know that's the case, but I find it interesting that the United States is a target market for you because that's where you're most comfortable writing. Yeah. And and look, 99% uh, of my sales happen in America, and I am grateful to USA readers um, for that. And I tend to read and watch USA products. Um, I just like it. And I think I'm not the only one. I, in Japanese uh, people also love, you know, USA products. And the same for Turks. And certain cultures appeals to us. So I try to write in American English. Um, and when I, I'm living in Australia, my writing in my nursing pages, I'm a nurse uh, in daytime. Um, it's all American English, and my colleagues say, "Have you lived in America?" No, <laughs> they say, "But your grammar, your words are American English." Why? I said, oh, "It must be because of my readers. I am focusing on American English." Right. So in Australia, I'm writing in American English. How different? Is the, well, sure. How different is the dialect in Australia? Because they speak English in Australia, but there's a difference between Australian English and American English. There is um, the letters. You, uh, you you tend to use Z in your 
words and whereas uh, Australians are very much like the English and they'll use the S in certain words. And the humor, yeah, the humor is different. And and also the phrases, Australian phrases are only unique to Australia. And, And when I used it in one of the stories, Americans didn't understand that. And so I had to change my thinking um, and and read more um, American authors to understand so that the American readers are happier with my work because you guys are the ones who like my books. Thank you. Right. Well, (laughs) I'm happy that we do. Uh, now this this new the newest book that you have out uh, in in the fantasy is, is called uh, Set in Stone, and what can you tell us? You know, without giving away too much, because obviously you want people to read it. But what can you tell us about this one? Well, that story for a long time was in my head when I was a child. My father took me to a place called Cappadocia in Turkey. And Cappadocia, um, there is a, a tiny little area in Cappadocia called uh, Fairy Chimneys. The story setting is there, actually. They are the oldest buildings uh, formed through um, this massive big um, volcano eruption. And what happened, this is about 12 BC, uh, people actually dug into these um caves and they created homes and some of them are under the ground as well and when I went there as a child I thought I was in fairyland seriously it's just I've never seen any place like that people living there and and every time I walk from one structure to another I thought there is a fairy following me so here I am in my 50s I wrote a story and in that area, there is a wild mountain goat, and they are quite threatened species because hunters are just relentless. And these creatures have got 50, um, half a meter long, huge, um, and what is it? Like a tusk. Horns. Yeah. Sorry, um, and 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 they are hunting these poor things, uh, and they're almost extinct. So I wanted to highlight their plight and make my dreams come true. That there is a life, you know, that we've never encountered, and I wanted the readers to believe that. So the setting place is fairy chimneys in Cappadocia, about a shifter who is um, a wild mountain goat. And then I thought, hang on a sec, this is a world I am creating. I need to make it believe. So I add a little bit Greek mythology because around that time uh, in Cappadocia, people did believe in Greek mythology. They did believe in Cybele, who is the mother earth for Cappadocia. So I added a little bit of her and then I thought, hang on a sec. Why stop here since I am stretching everything and I brought a gargoyle? Hmm. That's a nice twist. <laughs> I know. I, I just love the concept that if I could create a world that is convincing and the reader is lost in it. And that's what I tried. Yeah. And yeah, so I hope people will like it. I'm sure they will. And, you know, I've always said that I'm willing to go along with you in any world that you want to take me in. 
you know, I grew up in the Star Wars generation. So when I was a kid and I went to the movie theater, I just accepted everything that was happening on the screen. I didn't think about, well, the ships can't fly that way because of gravity and they don't have enough propulsion and this this planet can't exist. Like none of that entered my head. I'm willing to take that journey with you. As long as the world within that makes sense, then I'll go anywhere with you you want to go. Exactly. I remember I was like five or six years old when I first time watched um, Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I thought it was real. I was in all of that program. And so I hope that I was able to convince the readers about uh, living in Cappadocia in this magical place. Sure. I have oh. no doubt that you are. And you you said that there's a the word I think that you used was was it emprig? Yes. Yes. So tell tell our audience what that means because that's a very interesting twist in your story. Yes, and um, there is a new concept uh, in LGBT uh, stories, emprigs, where in these fantasy stories males can have children, and um, so I wanted to write an empiric story to show what is is it possible and and i think it is possible anything is possible in fantasy world so one of my characters will have children i'm not going to tell you how because that's where the twist is and uh-huh. um, it's not like how uh, readers imagined but yes my characters will have babies that is going to be interesting for sure that's what I yeah. love about the fantasy world, though, is that you can really just put in anything that you want as long as it works within the concept of that world. You could do anything. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's amazing. I, I am in all of anyone who could write fantasy and horror. I think both um, genres are pure, you know, imagination. Mm-hmm. And anyone who could write a different story and can convince me to live in their pages, you know, I am in awe of them. So I tried um, my best and I hope I am close to those authors who convince me that there is a world out there that is beyond imagination. Oh, yeah. And I think that that we've proven historically that we'll buy into that. I mean, you can go back to the days of shows like The Twilight Zone uh, Gilligan's Island, Battlestar Galactica, oh, yeah. and we're willing to accept those things because I think we as humans, especially nowadays, I think life is so stressful that we want that yeah. escape. We want to know that there's some other world out there that we could go to whenever we want. Yes, and it has a happy end because in real life living, looks what's happening. People are dying. There is and war, there is famine, there is fires everywhere. And it's we want to escape somewhere that, you know, the bad is punished and and there's a happy end. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's a big part of it. And while I, I, personally, I get tired of knowing that everything's going to end up okay in a story. Sometimes I just, yeah. just want to know that it, that maybe it's not. I, I want a little bit of stakes in uh, in the read, you know. But exactly. Yeah, but I think for most people, though, I think they want that. Uh, they want everything tied up into a nice little bow. They want to know that there's a world where everything's going to be okay. Because in in real life, it isn't always the case. Yeah, and in my stories, everything is going to be okay, but not really. I must say, I just want to highlight because um, I try. 
in at the very base of it, I write about mental health issues. I write about social issues like homelessness, um, domestic violence, racism. So when I touch these topics in the stories, the end is happy, but you know it's going to keep happening again and again. You know. The, Life is not that perfect. And I, while I want the readers to escape into fantasy, I also want them to think about um, what's happening in real life, too. I, I don't want us to bury our head um, in the sand. Um, so in this story, it was about racism. It was about... Um, you know, being anti-LGBT and all that. So whilst there's happy end, it's a bit of sweet happy end. Right. Am well, I giving too much away? I don't think so. <laughs> but I think, I, think I, I really like the fact that you're not afraid to bring those elements into the book because I think there's the kind of, of reader that, and, you know, I, I'm kind of both kinds, but there's the kind of reader that just wants to not think about anything in the real world, just yeah. something to get me out of this. Yeah. And then there's that, okay, but, but, let's make this realistic and say, well, this is how it is, but here's what we can do, or here's a different way to approach it or a different way to look at it. And exactly. I don't mind when, when writers bring that in, but I think a, pe a lot of writers are afraid to. Yes. I, and I don't want to be afraid because I, I was a domestic violence victim. Yes. At one stage in my life, I was homeless too. And, and I went through a lot of difficulties and all these uh, experiences shaped me into what I am today. And if I didn't honor my survival and those who were around me, um, I would be a ungrateful person. That's how I feel. I would not be grateful to the universe who rescued me from some awful situations. There is nothing fun about being homeless. Yeah. And, and, and it's best not to forget the homeless. It's not, it, it is not fair. So in my stories, I will mention these um, awful situations. And yes, it challenges some of the readers, and I respect that. But as a person who went through all these experiences, I cannot shy away. I have to remind people of those who are struggling outside. Well, first of all, uh, congratulations to you for getting out of both of those situations, because I think Thank those you. are, well, they're really defining moments for people. I think there's the, the people that want to get out and don't know how there's the people that yeah. are just willing to go, well, you know what, this is what my life is meant to be. And they accept it. And then there's the people that fight and fight until they find a way out. And obviously you have found a way out, whereas a lot of people don't. So I'm very glad that you are no longer Thank in you. either of those situations because those are terrible. No. Yeah, and, and that's why I think I became mental health nurse and, and therapist. I want to help others. There is a way out there. Um, I wouldn't like anyone to think they're on their own, totally abandoned. Yeah. It's not true. I hope, look, I was on the street literally hiding and someone helped me. And I want to pay back and I want to help others who need help. And that's the way that the world should work. I think, you know, not, not that you have to go through something to want to help someone else, but we should all be working together to get people Absolutely. To living a, a, a tolerable life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so look, I deal with suicidality, you know, I've got patients who want to end their lives, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I was one of them. 
So, yeah, I need to write their stories. Do you find it difficult having been in those situations yourself? Uh, obviously, there's the desire to want to help people, but do you find it difficult sometimes to to be around that all the time? Um, sometimes uh, it is harrowing. Um, sometimes it does touch you. Uh, I, you know, I I'm a human person and and I have feelings. I try not to suffer from compassion fatigue. Yes, sometimes it's hard, but that's what life is about. That's what life is about. Um, and there's no point of hiding from reality, and 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 not from my perspective, but look at life from others' perspective. If it's harrowing for me, it must be 10 times worse for them. So I cannot hide from them. I cannot ignore them. I need to help them. So at night, when I go to bed, I know I've done the right thing. My conscience is clear. I get my best shot. That's how I operate. That is such a beautiful outlook. I really love that. That's got to help sustain you from some of those tougher days. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I'm, I, I can't hide from life, and and in my stories, I try to give that message, mm-hmm. um, that you know we need to help others. Life is not about ourselves only. We are a tiny speck in universe. There's so much happening around us. We need to um, look at life from a different perspective. Yeah. I think we all need to work together better too. I think we, especially with the isolation of social media. uh, I was just listening to an interview today with somebody where they were talking about uh, how we don't, we don't look up at the stars anymore because we're too busy looking down at whatever devices in our hand or texting somebody or waiting to get a message. We've really lost uh, in for the majority, I think, especially for the younger generations that have grown up utilizing this technology where you and I, we came from a world before we had this and we watched it yeah. develop over, over the course of time. But for the kids that are born into this, um, you know, it's, it's nice to just look out a window once in a while and watch the the rainfall or just look up at the sky and see the stars. And when you can get away from the city lights. Yeah. I mean, I, I get worried that uh, we give so much to our children through, um, you know, TVs and internet and all that. Um, everything is ready-made and I'm not so sure that we are helping children to be creative because they're now sitting and waiting to be entertained mm-hmm. and visually and it, I hate seeing it, but back in my days, <laughs> this is giving my age away, <laughs> you know, my parents used to give me a wooden spoon and a pot and a box and, and I would create things out of it. And and I never forget, I gave a bowl of popcorns to my son, and he was uh, four years old. And this kid created an army from popcorns. Each one had a character, and I was marveled at his imagination. And then I made a mistake of introducing him to video games, and that was it, you know. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> no more popcorns. I think that uh, we are... From what I've seen, and I interact with the world very little, but from what I've seen, it seems like we're losing that ability to be creative because we become dependent on the technology to do so much of it for us. And you know, even in music now, there's elect, there's computers that write music. So you you have a person that'll edit it, uh, but the computer can write it. So you know, you can't really do that with books at this point. 
but I wouldn't be surprised if the artificial intelligence got to that point where you could just say, hey, you know what? I want a new story. I don't want to go pick out a book. Write me a science fiction and the computer will just spit it out. And it's highly possible. I mean, the other thing is audiobooks. I think audiobooks are fantastic for those who are visually impaired and all that. It's great. But a lot of people are now wanting audiobooks. So while they're driving, they are listening to it. But they are focusing so much on it, they're not really reading anymore. Right. Um, yeah. um, and and I think, but well, you gotta lick your finger and turn that paper page. You gotta sniff the book a bit. And we are not now because ebooks are cheaper too. And and I am one of them. I I sell only ebooks because it's cheaper for right. the readers. Sure. But we are we are getting really carried away. I think making everything so easy that we we are forgetting the simple pleasures of turning a page or sniffing the paper and things like that. But saying that, Scott, I think um, we are, as human beings, are amazing creatures. We're so adaptable. There will always be some, despite all this ready-made entertainment, their imagination is going to beat all that and and they're going to leave us in awe. You know, all of them. You so. are one of them. You are one of them. I love listening to your music. Um, you know, and when I'm in the train, um, that's all I do. Sometimes, you know, I have have a really heavy day. You know, distressing day. Seeing people, you know, um, succeeding in their suicide and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, leaves you really shaken. And then, and I'll listen to Vivaldi or you. In the train, and um, before I meet my husband, I need to be okay so he doesn't see my distresses. And I listen to your music for Vivaldi, for Springs, and I'm okay then. I'm well, not. I'm not going to complain I'm about that. <laughs> that's a no, huge compliment. No, thank thank you. you. Well, that's so, one of the things is that you. I I want to be a part of making the world a better place. And obviously, you know, we as artists, we want to do that through our art. And to know that yeah. it's something that I've created. I mean, people uh, people have given birth to my music, which was a huge compliment. And I had somebody tell me recently that uh, they actually, because of my music, it helped them not commit suicide. That that's what they yeah. used to kind of get through their day. I mean, it is very soothing. Well, but the, but the point is that it's working, that it's that it's making the world yeah. better, you know, even on a one on one basis, you know, and, and I never even thought about that as an application to, to just kind Absolutely. of calm you down from your work day. Yeah, sometimes I get so distressed. I feel so alone and, and I can't talk about, you know, my work. Or, or look, I'm a, you know quite a quirky character. You know, I'm you know I'm not everybody's cup of tea, and I'm overly sensitive. And, and sometimes I'll take things to my heart. Yeah. And during that time, if I am listening to your music or Vivaldi, I feel connected to someone I've never met. That someone understood, you know, human distress or aloneness or loneliness, and they created something so beautiful that it takes away their sense of loneliness or isolation yeah Uh, you know and that's what you as a musician are doing it and you know so 
I'm glad that your music is helping others, not just me. It's fantastic. So thank you. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate you sharing that with me. And, you know, that's the thing, too, is a lot of times people don't really tell the content creators how much they enjoy their work or or how much it's meant to them. I, I wouldn't have found out uh, some of those things had I not just casually reached out to people and just in conversation, they told me these things. Uh, so I, yeah. I love that. But you mentioned... Uh, obviously being sensitive. And I think as artists, we we tend to be. Uh, but if I remember right, you had uh, you had posted something about something negative that somebody had said about your book. And I don't know what the feedback was, but it had obviously upset you. Well, uh, people are, they have the right to not like my books or any book, anything. Um, sure. And that's, I respect that. But what hurt me was this uh, reviewer, uh, two sentence didn't like it and then she advised other people not to waste time with my book and that part was very personal and it hurt me it's one thing i don't like a book is another thing telling people not to bother right um that's not a review that's not a constructive review it is i felt that it was rather personal and spiteful and and it hurt me right if she said i hated this story I didn't finish it. I'm giving one star. I say, okay, thank you. You at least put a review. And, you know, I hear that. And I'll read my book again to see. But for her to say not to read my book to others was rather personal, I felt. I, so I was gutted. Yeah. And, and I've had uh, some guests and I have talked about this on the show before. You know, I don't mind if somebody doesn't like something I create, that's fine. Art is very subjective. And yeah. especially with a story, you're either going to connect with it or you're not. Or maybe you thought yeah. it was going to be a romance and maybe you're not into gay romance. And once you found that out, yeah. that turned you off, whatever it is. But if you're going to leave the feedback, at least say, you know what, this wasn't my kind of story. Here's what I didn't like about it. So if that's, if that's not what you're into, then this might not be the book for you. However, that's you, right. you know, and, and just if this is your kind of story, but the question I have these days is because people are so loose with their feedback, um, do you think people actually read the, the ratings anymore? Do you think people take that to heart? I think they do. I certainly do. When I am uh, picking a book, I'll look at the overall rating. If it's like five, uh, you know, rating, and uh, I don't take my seriously because only five people bother to put reviews. Um, but if it's like, say, 500,000 whatever reviews overall, um, I'll, I'll take it into consideration um, overall. Saying that, um, I have deliberately picked books that was one star to star, um, and I absolutely loved it. And that's the thing, as you said, it's about being subjective, isn't it? What didn't appeal to people, their, fee uh, their review was so constructive. It actually made me think, actually, based on what this review said, I'm going to read this book, and I love it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, that could be the enticing thing, too. If, if I don't typically like the kind of stuff that everyone else does, then I'll probably like the stuff they don't. Well, uh, it's the art of writing review, isn't it? And like you say, when a, a, a genuine quality reviewer writes constructive review, you hear their point of view, but you also hear what they are talking about, you know, and I think, okay, I'm going to give it a try. Mm -hmm. And 
here I am, you know, um, a big fan of Graham Masterton. I mean, the, what made me pick his book was some of the bad reviews. Uh, and then I said, oh, I want to know what this is about. And I actually liked it. It was gruesome. Mm -hmm. I love gruesome supernatural horror. Okay. So um, that's it. Well, see, yeah. there there is a big bone of contention for uh, purveyors of art because some people might like a movie like Halloween where you you kind of see things, but you really don't see anything. And yeah. It's more of a thriller. And then some people might like a movie like Saw where you see so much on the graphic side of things where other people are like, I don't want to see it. I just I, I, if I know what happened, I'm good. You know, so there's so many yeah. different levels. But when you've done this, when you've purchased books that have low ratings, have you been able to go back and go, okay, I understand why they didn't like it? Um, I did. I did. Um, I must say, I don't put uh, bad reviews. Um, I don't, I never put bad, bad. I used to many, many years ago, but uh, I learned a humble lesson as an author. So I don't put bad reviews. If I think a story is really like has flaws, um, I'll discreetly approach to the author. And just let them know how I feel and, and whether they noticed it. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't put uh, bad reviews. Um, if I have nothing nice to say, then I don't say anything at all. Um, I'll just speak privately to the author. Otherwise, um, I'll just write um, on the, the books that I really like. And you know what? I read some books I really hated, but they were five-star quality. Just because I didn't like it doesn't mean that some books don't deserve that five star or four star because they are so beautifully written. I love that you just said that because that's that's it right there. And that's why I have uh, why I don't typically bother to read reviews myself, although you've got me rethinking yeah. that. But it, because people it's it's like social media. I have the forum to say whatever I want to say. So I'm just going to say it and I don't care whether, uh, you know, what, what the value of this review is, I'm just going to say whatever I want. But if you were yeah. to, to say, you know what, this, I didn't like the story, but the story is incredibly well-written. The characters are, are lovable or the villain is so hateable. You know, you, can, you have to hate them that it really made me feel emotional. Like you could not like a book and still have good things yeah. to say about it that could attract somebody who would like that book. That's right. I mean, some books leaves me really shaken, uncomfortable, because it's just too real for me. I, I, and I like to read to escape. Um, so I don't like reading, uh, you know, these biographies or real life oriented fiction books and all that. But some of them, you know, deserve the acknowledgement. They deserve the acknowledgement. So I, with pleasure, I will, you know, review them and I'll promote them, even though it's not my cup of tea. But I don't say that. I, I won't even say that in the story. It's not fair to the author or the story. I, I will just focus on its um, commercial value, its language, its quality, and what the author is trying to tell. I like that. And when I write, a review along those lines when I feel that, you know, people need to check out this book. I'll start it off with, this isn't normally the kind of book I would enjoy, or exactly. uh, I, I didn't like the story for myself. However, I think there's That's a lot right. of people that would just something to, to, to clue them into the fact that, that just because I didn't like it doesn't mean it isn't for everybody. 
Exactly, exactly. Um, and and that's that's just being a, a you know a fair, um, honest, congruent uh, reviewer. You don't just uh, review the books you like. You re- read the books you're not comfortable with, but you know they deserve the acknowledgement. And that, that's what art is about: uh, being able to look at it subjectively, but write a review objectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I'm so glad that you have that point of view. And I think that, you know, it, it, it. I have to wonder how much schooling should change based on how much the world has changed. And maybe we should have classes in social media etiquette and, you know, the thing, because the reviews can really be hurtful to an author and you can have an independent author that puts their first book out and maybe it's not the greatest book, but they're just getting started and, you know, they can learn a lot from the reviews, but if they just get beaten up, they'll probably never write another book. Well, that happened to me for a few years. I couldn't bring myself to write romance, so I wrote the gothic horror stories. I was trolled, and this person privately used to send me really nasty uh, messages about my stories, and they were quite personal. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it shook me to my core and I couldn't write. And I pulled up all my stories from Amazon and I just wrote uh, horror stories. And um, and even now I'm writing romance now. Um, the Setting Stone is my first one uh, in years. Um, I'm still, you know, hesitant. You know, I'm afraid of getting trolls again. And, and sometimes these trolls, are uh, they... I guess if you are a if you have psychopathic or sociopathic tendencies, you pick up the little nuances about the person, and and you are able to target those vulnerable spots. Is it working? Oh, okay, yeah, it's better. It was just, it just started to fade out, and uh, oh, yeah. and just started getting really crackly. And you know, I I've only done a couple of podcasts that I've recorded over Facebook, but that's happened both times. So it seems like it's really oh. good for about forty minutes, and then it goes. I'm getting tired. <laughs> you know? uh, probably Facebook is doing it. You talked enough. Finish it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but to, but to get back to it, uh, so you were you were saying uh, before we had to reset the call, you were saying uh, about how um, you you do get hurt by these things. Um, but I think if you can find a value in the feedback, if you can kind of categorize it and go, okay, I understand what this reader is saying. And I agree that that's something that maybe I went too far on and I'll look at that in further books. Or you can say, well, I think that that particular reader, maybe this book just wasn't for them. Um, yeah, exactly. and, and you can find benefit in it, but just there are people that are just ruthless and and rude and cutthroat for no reason whatsoever. Exactly. Look, social media freed us all um, for the good and for the bad. Mm -hmm. And any artist, whether musician or an author or a painter, and social media gave them the freedom to express themselves, which means for certain people, it's a freedom to express themselves to satisfy their own needs, whether it's a sociopathic or psychopathic or narcissistic. So it's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Does this mean I, I shall stop writing or you shall stop uh, creating music? No, we just uh, keep doing what we believe is the right thing for us. And if anyone is 
becoming personal, hurtful. And um, well, we need to pull our big pants. What's that word? Um, phrase. Big, I big, big girl panties on. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just put that back on and you move forward. See, sometimes I do get confused with phrases. Oh no, you're you doing great. Your English is fine, by the way. I, I, I've had a, a wonderful time listening to you. I, thank I There's you. not anything that you said that I didn't understand. So, no, you're doing oh, great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I do get nervous. <laughs> oh, no, you're doing fine. Um, now, uh, in your story, but I've had similar feedback. Like, I might get uh, feedback on a song where they don't like it, and I dig a little bit, and I find out, well, the violin was the main instrument in that song. And when they were a child, they tried to learn violin and they got frustrated and they never became a musician. And there's, there's a lot of times so many underlying factors, but all you get is the, the end of the aggression of it. Yes. And by the way, I do love the violins. (laughs) I just want to clarify that it's so haunting. Um, just, I just want to clarify that. I think it's the most, I, I mean, the, the cello is very expressive, the viola, but there's something about the note range of a violin oh, uh, and the emotion that it can bring out. In fact, one of my all-time favorite pieces of music is uh, Violin Romance Number no. 2 by Beethoven. Uh, I just oh. I just drift away with that piece. It's. Um, I just love violin. And it, I'm not much into piano, but if it's a Moonlight Sonata, I will listen over and over. That's just oh, gorgeous. There's something about so. Oh, yeah. And then I'll I'll just make my coffee, turn off the lights, sit in the garden, and just listen to either your music, Moonlight Sonata, or Albinoni. Oh well, that that sounds absolutely wonderful. Yes, uh, I, I'm very black and white in my favorites. I don't change. I'm very repetitive because I love the experience. I don't want to lose it. Yeah, I, you know, I used to, when I was younger, I used to like to explore a lot more than I do now. Now I'm like, I have very little time to just sit down and enjoy something. So if I'm going to take that time, I want to know it's going to work. And so I tend to go exactly. back to those favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I'm not adventurous. I don't want to be adventurous. I just want that comfort zone, the emotion. So I, I tend to listen or watch or read the same thing over and over and, and experience the pleasure as the first time I've done it. I love yeah. that. Uh, now, you had mentioned that in this new book, Set in Stone, uh, one of your characters is a mountain goat. And you are a vegetarian in real life. How much does that affect how you write? A lot, <laughs> a lot, because um, if you read all of my books, none of them will eat meat. <laughs> so I have, to... <laughs> so so I have to create characters that shy away from meat eating. But I'm not promoting vegetarianism either, or say I'm not trying to say eating meat is bad. It's just for me, I don't want to eat uh, meat, so I try to. Right, in a way that works for me. You know, uh, one of the things that I I remember uh, reading a long time ago was Bruce Lee, the martial artist. He did not drink in real life. And so none of his characters drank in the movie. So he had one scene where his character was drinking and his character, much like him in real life, could not handle alcohol. And I think that when we're writing what's true to ourselves, we tend to write in a more honest and compelling way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. For me, I need to be authentic. 
Uh, although in my stories, um, my character might be a, a, a murderer, which I have one, you know, it could be an evil spirit, all sorts of things. But at the core of them, they won't eat me. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay if you go and kill people as long as you don't eat a cow on the way home. <laughs> it sounds like that, doesn't it? it um, does, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a bit twisted i know i know i can see it <laughs> but yeah so i chose the mountain goat but purely because and um, that animal is under threat people are coming from europe america other parts of turkey there to hunt those poor things mm-hmm. for their horns and um and I think part of me identifies with the poor goat, you know, and having difficulties in life and trying to survive and overcome difficulties. And at the same time, I think, you know, I understand hunting to eat because you need to eat for survival. I don't understand hunting um, for the beauty of the animal. Right. Yeah, I, I've never and- understood that either. Yeah, so, and and I don't mean to be political in this discussion. It's just, you know, there are certain things that I don't want to saw. Um, I chose the mountain goat. In another story, I picked another under uh, threat animal. So, yeah, I like things like this. You know, I just want readers to be aware of what's happening out there. Right. And yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that there's things in life that we can understand and identify with. And there's things in life that we don't understand and don't identify with. And, you know, I I think it's perfectly okay to to discuss those things. But uh, to me, one of the most fascinating things about a goat is the way that they climb, you know, watching some of them climb up these steep rock faces. And I don't I don't know how they do that. And this is the one of the breeds that can climb up the most steepest, sharpest edges, and and and, and the weather conditions are awful too. And they they're fine. Yeah, they are absolutely so majestic to watch them. And I am in absolutely awe of these animals. And um, so, yeah. Um, you know what? I want to mention one thing to you. Mm-hmm. Could I? Yeah. One of my story now. <laughs> I wrote a story ages ago called The Nameless One. And it was, uh, do you remember the genie in a bottle oh, story? Sure. Uh-huh. Aladdin, yeah. yeah. Everybody, everybody is writing from Aladdin's perspective. So one night I thought, no, I'm not having this. <laughs> I felt so sorry for this poor uh, genie who's stuck in a bottle, is serving for people three wishes all the time. So I ended up writing. That genius story, and what happened to him, and from his perspective, to be in servitude, um, granting people's wishes at his own expense, and and I cried when I was writing his story, and and it's a fable, so I tried to write it in all the style English, which was really hard mm-hmm. for me, but I think I succeeded well, and. Um, I think the reason I brought that up, Scott, is because I guess I just wanted you to understand where I am coming from in life. I really, really um, notice the downtrodden side more so than the rich and the famous and the most beautiful. Well, it's a very empathetic approach, right? You you can identify with the uh, the emotional side of those uh, that we're not hearing the story from. And with all these reboots of television shows and movies and things that we've seen in Hollywood over the last couple of decades, 
I, I yeah. often said, instead of just rebooting it and telling the story again, why don't we try telling the story from the other perspective? So yeah. if you were to take a, you know, like, like a Star Trek, okay, instead of telling the, uh, the side of the story from the Enterprise and how they're the good guys, they're the good guys because that's the perspective that we're given. But if that's you true. were to see the story from the side of, say, the Klingons or one of the other races, yeah. the Borgs, you would not yeah. necessarily think that the crew of the Enterprise are the good guys. Exactly, exactly. Um, I read a dark romance. This is one of my other favorite. Um, and in this romance, it was from the bad person's perspective. And, um, and uh, how uh, paranoid he was, how his suspicions stopped him seeking help professionally. So he went um, off the grid and, and and people just assumed he was dead. But in reality, this guy um, had a genuinely a mental health problem. He suffered from paranoid delusions. And, and hence, um, he did what he did, and he was hiding from others. It was grueling. I cried my eyes out. Wow. But from his perspective, I understood the things he did, how he perceived life. And in the end, of course, he was forced to, you know, a hospital admission, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. His happy sure. end was kind of happy but not really because he's never going to be uh, recovering from his mental health problems he'll always battle with paranoid delusions but that doesn't mean he didn't deserve love that's very and, and i just love these kind of um stories and and the music you know that doesn't really fit in the norm it's different it touches the very core of you well, that's it. I think that so much that's mainstream is just designed to elicit certain feelings and really not think and you know keep the bad person being bad and the good person being good. But I uh, read one of the books from the movie series Friday the Thirteenth. I think it was. Oh, part, yeah. I, I want to say part seven. Uh, the book was given to me by my parents for Christmas one year, and I read the book and you understood finally the perspective of Jason the killer. You understood why he killed people, why he, he really just wanted to be left alone, but they keep digging him up and they keep bringing him back to life. And he's like, I just want to be dead. So I have to kill everybody so that there'll be nobody to resurrect me and I can just enjoy being dead. But you people keep coming back and bringing me back to life and I have to kill you so you'll quit doing it. And when you look at it from that perspective, it really kind of makes you feel then for the murderer who's supposed to be the bad guy. You're like, but you're kind of the victim in this too. Exactly, exactly. He like Greta Garbo. He wanted to be left alone. Right. And he was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's like, um, you know, Hannibal Lecter. And mm -hmm. um, he's uh, he's such a charismatic murderer, isn't it? Oh yeah. <laughs> but when you look at his background, you can see why he did the things he did. Right. He had a so many childhood traumas that really um, broke um, broke the shreds of his sanity. Yes. And uh, does that make him a good guy? No. Does that make him a pure evil? Yes. But it also helps the reader or the viewer to understand why this guy finally snapped and became such a uh, monstrous creature. 
Yes. I, you know what? I absolutely agree with that. And I think there's a difference between understanding and allowing. Like I can understand why he became the way he did. I'm not allowing that to be okay, but I get why it happened. And in in real life, you could look at a guy like, uh, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer who, or not Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, Ed Gein, who uh, was the inspiration for so many uh, films but the reason that he became the way he did was because of the the religious and oppression or oppression uh, from his mother, uh, yeah. and, and the the weird just way he was brought up made him become yeah. what he was. I will never excuse what he did, but at the same point, yeah. you understand why. Exactly, we cannot excuse or forgive or allow people to do the things that really they do. But I think it's important that we understand why and how so that uh, we are extra careful with our young ones. Right. We are extra careful with the person who may be isolated, struggling to understand their mental health. And as a neighbor, we genuinely need to practice, I think, love your neighbor. It doesn't mean that you're going to be friends with them. It's just being aware of what's happening in your community to help someone before they snap. That's how I look. Exactly. And I think the word community has a lot to do with it, because if you look at most of these cases, uh, from the ones that I've read anyway, they've always been fairly isolated, non-social. There's no one checking in on them to make sure that they're being raised okay or anything. That's right. That's right. And and if they are not okay, we need to do something about it. It could be, uh, you know, um, I don't know, jail. It could be community sentence. It could be treatment. It could be fostering. But we need to do something. We cannot ignore what's happening in our community right. because um, it has disastrous consequences. I really believe that. Um, so for me is I practice love your neighbor in this way, just being aware of what's happening in my community, in my country, in the next door neighbor or in other countries. We need to be aware because as human beings, we are social creatures. We cannot ignore others. Right. And you certainly from your profession, you see that uh, on a daily basis because you get the end result of not taking care of these things. Absolutely. I see the end result catastrophic results um and that made me uh, shape me into what i am today i'm you know trying to be aware of um, what's happening around me because uh, when a human being suffers it's not always going to be sad it could be totally disastrous we've got to help each other right and more likely uh when people see somebody that is going through something or somebody that they just get a feeling like i don't I don't want to be near that person. Like they're evil or there's something about them that I don't like. We tend to shy away from that kind of confrontation and just, I, I, somebody else will take care of that or I'm sure it'll be fine, but I'm not going to get involved. And that never helps solve any kind of problem. But at the same point, I can understand if you're feeling like you're at risk, you, you shouldn't necessarily jump in and, and be the one to, to help if you feel that you're maybe not equipped to deal with it. Yes, it, but alert authorities, and the authorities could be a doctor, sure. could be ambulance, it could be police, could be anything. But you need to alert someone you think they can handle it. I, I, I certainly don't uh, encourage anyone to be the heroes because that's not what we are. Uh, I'm meaning. Right. I just mean 
if you are aware of something, let someone know. I mean, you've done your part. So many times we get calls about people that they notice their neighbor is not doing well or they haven't seen or something. And look, I, I meet the police, I broke windows and climb into the buildings, okay, with my arthritic hip, if I may say so. Sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> but we broke into buildings and we found people um, not dead, but they are catatonic. They were so unwell. They were catatonic, dehydrated, brink of death. And and, and I am grateful to neighbors who said, I haven't seen this guy for a while. Yeah. And we found, you know, people in catatonic states with depression is just crippled or schizophrenia or Unfortunately, they died alone, you know. Um, so it's important to notice what's happening around you. I mean, and another, most of the time, the crimes are resolved because of people's calls. Right. I would rather make a phone call and be wrong yeah. than, than not exactly. make a phone call and find out I was right. Exactly. Now, I'll tell you a funny story. Sure. One night, I woke up at three, pop, pop, pop. Now, in Australia, Australia is not like, you know, USA. We don't have guns. This pop, pop, pop sounded like gun. I was shaken. <laughs> I jumped out of the bed. I told my husband, we must call, you know. No, I must get out of the house. I said, because, you know, my nursing cap suddenly sure. put, put on. And he grabbed me. You're not going out. I said, he could be dying. Let me go. <laughs> so I looked at the window. On the street, there is this dark something lying in the middle of the street. Oh, my gosh. I was beside myself. I said, you got to let me go, Michael. He said, no, you are not going. He literally held me. So I called the police. And um, police asked my address. I couldn't remember my own address. I was so oh, shocked. Sure. I was crying. So in the end, the police came. They are going up and down, around. And you know what was it? somebody's um, car, you know, what in the engine something happened, so the engine made that pop-pop sound. Uh -huh. I don't know what it is. And and the thing I saw on the street was the uh, shadow of a tree. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? But you cared enough as a citizen to not exactly. lock yourself in your house and go make sure everyone was okay, you know? Exactly. I, that's so that's the really sweet. About Exactly. 3.30 police came, knock on the door. He asked me, where is this body? <laughs> I said, it's over there. He said, ma'am, come with me, please. I'm coming. wearing my pyjama, shaking in a blubbering mess, speaking in Turkish and English together because right. I'm in shock. And he said, do you see that man? He said, shadow. Nobody died. He was so kind. He was so polite because he understood. I genuinely meant you know, well, and right. I made a big mistake. And then I grabbed this, <laughs> the gentleman's hand. And in that moment, I threw away the nursing cap because I know Mr. Shadow. Suddenly, the author cap came. Oh, he's got muscular hands. Oh, my gosh, he's so handsome. He could be a character in my story. Oh, there you go. <laughs> the human mind, you know, we just feel it from scene to scene. But <laughs> right. Yeah, I've done my best as a neighbor. I called the police. Okay, I was wrong, but I meant it well. And and they were not offended. They actually thanked me that I thought to call them rather than act or whatever. Exactly, so, yeah. We'll try our best. Well, no, and I love that, that you did that because I think a lot of people would just lock themselves in their home and, and you know, maybe call 911 and say, hey, I heard something. Uh, yeah. and, and it would just end there, you know. 
but aren't uh, am I wrong in thinking that guns are banned in is it all of Australia? Say it again, sorry. Uh, that there are no guns allowed in Australia. Yes, no guns. But some people will have guns with um, what you call. They need that permission. Oh, but right. uh, um, uh, but it's almost unheard. I've never heard anyone, and I've been living here twenty years. I've never heard anybody saying I have a gun. Yeah. We don't have it. We just think the police has it, and um, and certain professions. I suppose farmers may have it because they live in the middle of nowhere, and they've got dingoes and all that. I think they may have it, but that's all. I've never seen or heard and nothing like that. Yeah, we don't have. Yeah. Well, I mean, even especially with the uh, with the wildlife that you guys have, because Australia, of course, you know, our perception in America of Australia is that everything wants to eat you. Uh, yeah, between the kangaroos and the dingoes and everything else, they bounce away from you. <laughs> right? Yeah, but but it you know it's even from a protection standpoint, I could understand it. But it, is it weird when you guys watch, say, uh, a movie in America where there's a gunfight and you just see that that's a normal thing on the street? Does that seem awkward to you because it's so different there? Um. No, I'm not. I, I, I am not like a politically correct kind of person. You know, if it's uh, how it is in your country, it, it is how it is in your country. And I'll watch the movie and, and get into the scene. You know what I mean? Uh, right. Uh, but it is a foreign concept. I mean, I don't know what a gun shoots, you know, or sounds like. And hence, I got it confused between, a, you know, an um, engine problem and a gun. And here you go. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I mean, like when, when I watch old clips of uh, like television from the 60s and the 70s, where a guest would go on Johnny Carson and they would have a cigar or a cigarette and they're just sitting there smoking on the stage. And, you know, of course, none of that happens now. And it just seems so out of place to me because that's not the world that I live in. So I, I thought it might be the same for you watching a movie take place because the culture is so different uh, where guns are very common here and there, you don't even know what they sound like. No, I don't. Yeah. And it's, it's surreal really. Um, I, I don't understand why there is need to have guns, but then, you know, it's cultural and, you know, in your culture, there is a different way of looking at life. And, and I respect that. But honestly, I wouldn't know how to hold a gun. I don't know what it feels like. Are they heavy? Are they heavy? I don't know. They look like plastics, but I'm sure they are not. Are they plastic? Uh, there, are, there are some, I think, that are, but most of them are, are metal or uh, I think that there's some that are... I want to say fiberglass. I think some of the Glocks are fiberglass. I really don't know that much about them, to be honest. I've never fired one. You know. Yeah, in Turkey, there are people who have guns in Turkey. Oh. um, Yeah, in Turkey, you know, as you know, my country is going through some upheaval all the time. So there are guns there. But again, I haven't seen it. My dad has one, but I've never seen it. He always kept it in a safe, um, and when, I think from time to time he used to clean it, but he always made sure we were not around and that the door was closed. So, you know, he has one, but we don't know what it looks like. Wow. That's good, though. I yeah. like that he segregated you from that. Oh, yeah. We've never seen it. He just kept it in case, but that thing never happened so probably it's rusted now my dad is in his 80s i doubt he can clean the 
uh, gun because he's got shaky hands. So it's probably like spider webs growing inside and <laughs> right, yeah. and all over yeah. it. <laughs> well, before I let you go, uh, tell us. So, what are you working on now? Have you have you started a new one yet, or are you in yeah. between? I I do. I I am writing a dark romance this time. I'm oh. writing the from perspective of the baddie. And um, the, some, it's about irritamania, which is the other meaning is stalking. Okay. Uh, so from a stalker's point of view, I'm writing um, how he feels misunderstood by the object of his desire. And um, so I thought, no, I'm going to write this story. And I don't know the end. <laughs> I don't know whether it's going to be a horror because... He's a very uh, headstrong person. He's not conforming to my ideas. So I'm writing his story. Let's see where it goes. Well, but I I like that. And again, that'll be that organic sort of storytelling that'll be more compelling to read. Uh, But well, if if that's going to be your story, then I got to tell you a quick story. Uh, Go on. uh, uh, Some years ago, I was working at a music store and uh, I met this lady who worked for uh, one of our vendors and she was telling me that this guy that she went out on a couple of dates with started just showing up at her house. He would be hiding behind the bushes. He would call her after she got home and say, hey, what are you doing? Well, I think you just got home. And I mean, like real stalking. And she ended up filing a restraining order and all that good stuff. But I, I went out to lunch with her one day when she was telling me about this. And on the way home, I thought, Okay, but I I get that he's obsessed with her. I get that he doesn't he's missing some sort of social skill of how to deal with this properly. But I try to think about what is it from his perspective? You know, what is the uh how where does he think this is going to get him by treating someone this way? And so I ended up writing a song about it called Through the Eyes of a Stalker, uh which oh will be uh, released sometime this year. But it was basically about that same thing. It was like trying to see, understand through their perspective of that that being okay. Yeah, yeah, because um, some some of those qualities are truly, in my opinion, broken, damaged. You oh, know, sure. they've got a lot of issues. Um, is it treatable? Not really. Um, you know, you need to. You know, we work with people who are stalkers. You know. Um, you can't really discharge them um, because it's delusional. Right. But uh, from their perspective, it's interesting to look at life. It is. Um, because someone is bad or we perceive them as bad doesn't mean we shouldn't see from their perspective how life feels like. Um, and also it prepares you to be more careful. Well, that and you can't fix a problem if you don't understand the problem, right? Exactly. So unless you understand why he thinks hiding in her bush is going to make her happy, you know, hey, I was hiding in the bush for two oh, hours romantic. waiting for you to get home. Yeah. Why Why <laughs> they think that that's a good thing. Like you can't, you can't treat that behavior unless you understand why they think it's right. Yeah. And they can't see anything wrong with that behavior. And, and you've got to understand that. So tell me, when are you going to release this? music is so well you know i hadn't even thought about it until you mentioned your story uh i'll have to i'll have to put that on my list to do maybe in uh, february 
Oh, very good. Because I'm hoping to release mine in February, but I'm going to wait for you first. Because oh, okay. I want to listen to see whether whether uh, it will inspire me to enrich the story. So I'm ah. going to wait for your story because I do listen to your work when I'm writing. You know, for certain scenes and all that, it kind of uh, feeds my muse. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to wait for your release. Oh, well, I, I will, I will definitely, yeah, I'll definitely let you know when, uh, when it happens and I'll make that one a priority then. Yes, please. Because I, I don't know why, but I, I really think your music is not just for the individual ear, but it's perfect for films too. Well, thank you. I have done a number of films, uh, film scores over the years and I've gotten yeah. away from it in the last couple of years, but uh, because I'm kind of at the point where if the film doesn't really talk to me, then I don't really think I'm the right person to do it. And it's there's other things exactly. I could do with my time. Exactly. So which film spoke to you and brought out the best in you? Can I ask before we go? Oh, that's a good question. Um, a lot of the films that I did, I, I worked a lot of film challenges. So they're ones where you just, okay, you get the story and you have to start writing. Yeah. Uh, but there was one that, that unfortunately the director decided never to release it. It was about, uh, it was a very personal story that she wrote where she and her husband, uh, they had just gotten married. They were going off to their honeymoon. They got in a horrible car accident and he ended up in, uh, in a facility where he had to be watched like all the time because he wasn't really mentally there and, uh, she would come and visit him. And so in this, this film, she came and visited him at Christmas And you really, it opens with her coming to visit him. So you have to piece together sort of what's happened as the film goes on. But she just didn't feel that it really was the right film for her to to release. I guess she wasn't happy with the, the final product. And it makes me so sad because I thought it was a beautiful film. And I was on set. Uh, I helped her film it. And even just standing there being in the room with the actors and holding the boom mic, I, there were the, the emotion in the room was so intense that I couldn't yeah. watch them act. I had to just look at the wall and hope that they would hurry up and get this take right because it was just too overpowering. So when I went to, I got the edited version, I went to write the music. It was very challenging because I was afraid that the music wouldn't convey the depth of the emotion that I felt in that room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so did you read well, in the end, I was very proud of of the music, and I thought that the film was beautiful. And uh, and then she decided not to release it, and I was very sad because I think it's some of the my best work, but I think it's some of the best work that I've done to picture. And mm. I think it's a film that people would really connect with if they saw it. But who knows? Hopefully, she'll change her mind and put it out there one day. So, did you release the uh, music yourself, or are you waiting? I'm waiting to see if she puts the film out. I look. I understand where she's coming from. Traumatic brain injuries are horrendous because, for the uh, you know relative's point of view, the body is there. Yeah, it's still there, but the personality functioning is totally changed, and and it's quite traumatic to watch a relative trying to come to terms with that that their loved one is right in front of their very eyes, but the brain injury changed the personality structure and also their functioning ability. It is, it is like a living nightmare for them. It is a living nightmare from a nursing point of view. Imagine when you are sleeping with that person day after day, you brought up children with them and they have an accident. 
Oh yeah. And you know, the the smallest I can relate to that is when my grandfather had uh he had a very severe heart attack and a triple bypass. And yeah. uh I drove uh he lived in a different state, but I drove out there to help my grandma out and I went to visit him in the hospital and the, the first day I was there was I think a day after the bypass. And yeah. you know, of course a heart attack can have a, a major impact on the brain because of the Absolutely. oxygen. Cut. And he yeah. thought that my grandmother was uh, the warden of a prison and that I was a prison guard and that I was there to make sure that he didn't get away. And oh, I mean, I, I, I'm looking at my grandfather and you can't reason with him. You can't say, Grandpa, it's me. Don't you remember when we went on vacation and we did this and we did that? Mm -hmm. Because they're not there in that moment. And that that's a hard thing to watch when the expectation is yeah. temporary. Uh, but but yeah. when you know that that's it, that's that's what the rest of their life is, I that's another level altogether. Absolutely. So I understand where she's coming from. I understand where you're coming from. And I can only wish her all the best and her husband. Yeah. Well, no, it's not a true story. Uh, it's it was just, uh, you know, the, the for her oh. to write it. In, no, she wrote it and directed it. And she starred in it. Um, but but she, it must have been inspired, <laughs> right? But it must have been inspired by something, you know, some someone that okay, she knew yeah. or something like that. Uh, but but oh no, she's uh, it, it was just a very powerful film, and I don't oh, normally yeah. get uh, get that connected to a piece of work. But that yeah. one really really spoke to me, and I think because I was there while it was being filmed and it was done at, at Christmas time was the setting, so there's that you yeah. know holiday part to it. And, uh, it, but it was a really beautiful thing. And I, all I can say is oh, that it, I hope yeah. she does one day. Well, the way you talked about it made me think it was a real life story that was put on the screen. So well, there you go. There's it the sounds power. Like an amazing work. The power of entertainment. There you are. Absolutely. Well, so, uh, so where can people find Set in Stone? On Amazon. As I sell it as an e-book. Um, Lily Lamb, Set in Stone. On Amazon Kindle. Yeah, Amazon Kindle. Yeah, Kindle's really a great, great place to read. And you know, you had mentioned um, you mentioned uh, the the feeling of turning a page, like licking your finger and turning that page. And I I miss uh, sitting on the couch and doing nothing but having my coffee on the table, yeah. maybe a snack, yeah. and just spending the whole day reading a book that I was just immersed in. Yeah. I miss that. Go on, sorry. Oh no, that's it. That's. That's all I was yeah. going to say. Yeah. Yeah. One day I hope to make enough money to release my books as paperback. But until then, they'll just stay as ebooks. Yeah. Well, there is the environmental factor to consider. But at the same point, I'm like, I kind of like having a book in my hand. I'm really torn between the two mm -hmm. because I, I see the advantages of both. I do too. Believe me, because I've got a terrible eyesight problem. I can't really read paperbacks now. Oh. And, and uh, yeah, I have to, you know, I have to read it in daylight and then have to bring the book close to myself, etc. So when I read it on my tablet, I can enlarge the font to the maximum, you know, like right. one word at each. Well, well yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's read. that. But don't they have uh, magnifiers for books now? Yeah, it's um, okay. I am. I may be a nice person, but I'm also a bit shallow. 
and you know, I'm the other version of shallow hell. I'm I'm struggling to bring that magnifying glass in front of me at a cafe. Well, it doesn't it doesn't look like it's it's comfortable yet. It looks like it's a really good idea that they they still need to develop a little bit more. I know, I know. So I've got my glasses, uh, and when you look at me through my glasses, my eyes look a bit large. (laughs) (laughs) So I think I'll leave the magnifying glass and keep it at home. (laughs) There you go. Well, Lily, I wish you the the greatest success with this book. I'm excited to hear that you're out there telling stories the way that you do. I love that they're organic. I love that they grow the way they grow. Uh, I think that's some of the best kind of writing out there. So check it, check out uh, Set in Stone. Follow Lily and uh, and see when her new book comes out after my song at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you take care of yourself and, and please keep writing, keep keep following that passion. And thank you and- for being one of those people that that spends your life helping uh, make people's lives better as best you can. And thank you for being so wonderful and keep creating music. There are many who appreciate your work on a very personal basis. Well, thank, thank you. you. That that means the absolute world to me. Please come back and see us again. Absolutely, sir. You All call right. me, I'll be there. Oh, excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, you take care, Lily. We'll talk soon. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I just love this lady's attitude and her outlook and her approach on life and and how that carries over to her writing. Very, very interesting stuff. And I hope to find some time at some point to read her work. As you all know, I don't really make a lot of time to sit and read because I've got a lot of things going on. Audiobooks, I'm a big fan of. And, uh, you know, if you've got an audiobook that you would like me to listen to, send it my way or send me the title and I'll see what I can do to get to it. Thank you guys so much for joining me on another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I will be back next week with another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Please remember to like, rate, share on whatever device that you choose to listen to the podcast on. See you guys next week. Cheers. <laughs>